Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty live in the Morton studio. Today it's Farmer Friday. We would love to hear from you all throughout the show. Our phone lines will be open. If you want to call in, it is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or send me a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, or Brian Hefty. So again, broadcasting from the Morton studio today on a Farmer Friday. One of the first things that I wanted to talk to you about today, before we get to anything else, and we will get to your mailbag questions here in a little bit and start taking your phone calls shortly, but I have had a lot of questions this year about green snap and lodging. So I just sent something out to, uh, I I train a lot of agronomists, and I just sent this out to them this morning about a soil test that had gotten sent back to me because whenever I get questions about green snap and lodging, you know where I go first if you listen to the show often. It's... um, what's the soil test information? Well, of course, they didn't have soil test information. So I said, well, pull a soil test from the worst of it. So I get the soil test back, and guess what? Just as I have been talking about all summer long and all these green snap and lodging issues, the potassium was low, the manganese was low, and the copper is low. Well, potassium is by far and away number one, but manganese and copper also enter into this actually pretty good. But those are the three nutrients. If you've had green snap or lodging issues on your farm, and I don't care if we're talking about corn or really any crop, if you're having lodging issues, your stock isn't able to withstand the wind somehow, some way. Fertility's got to be the number one thing you look at. And here's one of the things I'm often joking around with farmers about. I go, okay, you just had a green snap or lodging issue. You wake up the next morning, you, your corn's blown over or snapped over. Who's the first person you call? And invariably, what do you say? You go, the seed dealer. (laughs) I'm like, no, quit calling the seed dealer. It's not the seed dealer's fault. Now, I realize the reason why you call the seed dealer is because one variety is always going to look better than the other variety. That's just the way it is. But let's face it, they all were damaged. And if the other varieties would have, if the varieties would have been, planted on different days, if they were at different growth stages, you might find the one that you think looks great looks terrible. And the other one that today looks terrible, well, if you had planted it on a different date, so it was at a different growth stage, it might look fantastic. That's really what all this amounts to. Here's what I want you to think about. Okay. It's, it's just like, all right, this, uh, for years I've, I've helped coach youth baseball. Well, anyway, these kids are getting older now and they're 17 year old kids, um, 17 year old boys this summer. And the one kid literally, and this is no joke in one year, he grew eight inches eight inches in a year. So he was having back problems and he was just, you know, uh, it seemed like hurt all the time. Well, it's no wonder. I mean, he went from normal size to now he's super skinny and really tall. Well, his, um, he, he wasn't, I personally, I don't think getting enough nutrients in to support this massive growth that all happened in a year. Now I want to to want you to think about this for your corn plants, for example, since I'm talking about green snap and corn. All right, so your corn a lot of times will go from knee high to above your head in mm, three weeks, maybe four. Think about the amount of growth that is. It is crazy. And if you don't have a tremendous amount of nutrients, not just in the soil, but available to your plant and getting pulled in by your plant, well, you got a problem. And that's the stage where we have green snap issues and we traditionally have lodging issues. Okay. If the wind comes along a little later, oh, no big deal. If the wind comes along earlier, oh, no big deal. 
but at the wrong growth stage, that's the problem. And so I come back to, it's the fertility. Quit calling the seed dealer. So again, look at potassium, manganese, and copper. Now, here are three other things that I want you to take a look at. This year, we had more rainfall than normal in a lot of the United States and Canada where corn is grown. And do you have proper drainage? When you have poor drainage, here's what happens in your soil. Number one, you have fewer roots. Your roots die because they can't grow down into the water table. There's not enough oxygen there. You know what else dies? A lot of your beneficial soil microbes that actually can help turn nutrients into available nutrients and bring them into your plant. So you didn't have as much root mass and you didn't have as many nutrients getting into the plant because a lot of your beneficial microbes died if you had poor drainage. Okay, so number one, lack of fertility. And think about this year. Why was this year so bad? This year is one of the worst years I've ever seen with green snap. Well, last fall, would you say there was a normal amount of fall fertility applied or less than normal? Oh, it was a lot less than normal because of the weather. Okay, how about this spring? Was there a normal amount applied or a lot less than normal? Once again, it was a lot less than normal because of the weather. Okay, so we had less fertility out there. We definitely had worse drainage than we normally do. Then look at two other factors compaction. Well, when it's wet, you're going to have more compaction. And then finally, insect feeding. Personally, I think traits, seed traits like smart stacks, and then insecticides like some of these rootworm insecticides are both underutilized, in my opinion. We do see a lot of root feeding out there. And a lot of that can be, I'm not going to say totally prevented or anything, but at least reduced if you use either the right seed or you use the right insecticide and the right amount of insecticide. Okay, so there are four things that I attribute a lot of the issues this year with green snap and lodging to. And if you had a green snap or lodging issue on your farm, here's exactly what I want you to do. Go to the worst of it, soil test there, and also do your own evaluation on these other factors, drainage, insect feeding, and compaction. So if all those things are great, fertility, drainage, insect feeding, and compaction, or when I say insect feeding, great, I mean (laughs) hardly any insect feeding. But anyway, if all four of those things are great, your odds of having a green snap issue or a lodging issue just went way down. Now, the last thing that I'll throw out at you is this. What's your planting population? If you planted at 18,000 plants per acre, will your stalks be thicker than if you plant at 36,000 planting population? Double. Well, of course they will. So, If you have thicker stalks, do you have less green snap? Yes. Do you have less lodging? Yes. So where I'm going with this is if you want to be bumping planting populations, which I realize a lot of people talk about, oh, we need higher populations and everything else. I'm not going to disagree with that. But what I am saying is the more plant material you're going to have out there, the better you have to make sure that is fed. You've got to have higher fertility levels, better drainage, got to manage that insect feeding, and do everything you can to reduce compaction. Well, we'll take your phone calls and your questions coming up right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. You got in the field. Well done. That wasn't an easy task this year. Now give your bean crop everything it needs to get the job done this season. Adding Agro Liquid Fertilizer to post-emerge spraying passes provides your soybeans with the nutrients needed when the plant reaches the reproductive stage. Foliar-feeding soybeans can provide the end-season edge you need to economically and efficiently boost yield potential. We can help you develop a successful nutrition program for your soybeans. To learn more, visit agroliquid.com. 
Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. We didn't get to the moon by accepting that man can't fly. And we sure didn't get the car by settling for the horse. Progress isn't driven by accepting things as they are. It's driven by asking questions. At Indigo, we're working with farmers to question the entire agriculture system to reimagine everything from soil to sale. Yeah, we like the big projects. Go to indigoag.com slash questions to find out more. Indigo, from questions we grow. A pasture should have two things, grass and cattle. No weeds, no brush. That's why Chaparral Herbicide offers the broadest spectrum weed control available. It controls weeds other products can miss, like buckbrush and Canada thistle. And less weeds and brush in your pastures means more forage, so you spend less on feed. Chaparral also suppresses seed heads, lessening the effects of fescue toxicosis, all while providing season-long residual control. Visit NoWeedsNoBrush.com today and learn more about Chaparral. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio here on a Farmer Friday you'd like to call into the show our phone lines will be open all throughout the show the number here is 844-44-AG-PHD that's 844-442-4743 you can email us radio at agphd.com or send us a note on twitter agphd media or brian hefty so my brother darren is out speaking to farmers today in minnesota and uh and some north dakota and south dakota farmers as well and when I was talking to him just a little bit earlier, he said, you know, a lot of guys are concerned about, is the corn going to make it this year? <laughs> well, unfortunately, I can't predict the weather, but I will tell you this. Um, yes, I'm a little concerned that we're going to have wet corn this fall. So on our farm, I bought more propane this summer than I've ever bought before, because I do think yields, at least on our farm, are going to be pretty good. And it's going to be probably wetter than normal. But yeah, we're just hoping for a little bit warmer than normal fall. And, uh, you know, we'll just have to hope that everything turns out fine. Got to be optimistic as we are farmers. But we also have to plan just in case that corn is a little wet. And I will tell you, I do like to see corn in that 20 to 22% range when we're harvesting it. When we're drying it on our own, that's great. Now, if you had to haul that to the elevator, it cost you a little money. But when we're drying it on our own, that's where we feel we can maximize yields because we have the least amount of harvest loss. All right, uh, to kick off the show today, our first caller in is Jeff from out in Illinois. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing today? Great, beautiful day. So tell me a little about the crop in your area there in Illinois. Uh, there's a little bit that got planted at the end of April. Uh, some beans, some corn, but very little acres. As uh, Then we went for about a three-week or a wet spell, and that turned into about that May 16th through the 19th. Everybody got their first real window to plant and took advantage of it. A lot of acres got planted corn and beans on those days and then it rained again and basically end of May last few days of May first few days of June 
was our next window. So we had about one maybe early hitch and then two pretty good ones that are mid-May and end of May, first of June. So uh, conditions were wet. Everybody just gave up on doing it right and just had to get it in. So it's been... There's very few acres in Macon County that were not planted. Like, I think there's less than a thousand acres that had PP on them. So oh, okay. Pretty, pretty decent from so, a PP standpoint. So, how's the crop look on your farm? I assume you're raising corn and soybeans? Corn and soybeans. Crop looks okay. Uh, there's bad thing was we hit two weeks of drought about right after pollination. That dropped our kernel count. We pollinated well, but then uh, we aborted about 12 off the end, so 12 times 18. Take that number, divide it by, you know, 90,000. That's a pretty good number that came off the potential yield. Uh, but since then, it has rained, and we've been blessed with five to six inches and then cool temperatures. So we're extending the grain fill period. We're capturing a lot of sunlight, and the more days, the cooler nights and cooler days that we've been having is slowing this crop down, but we're capturing more energy. So I think our, instead of dividing by 90,000, we probably need to be dividing by, I think it's going to surprise us, probably 75,000, 70,000. So as those kernels just keep packing in more energy, I, I think our yields are pretty, pretty much going up. I'd say most yeah. guys are looking at, you know, right at that APH level. Well, that's good. And then beans, I assume, with the late rains, you're hoping those turn out pretty good too, right? Beans, I mean, I I was fortunate enough in about an 18-hour window. I got about 500 acres planted. So I had some of the – there's very few people planted beans in June or in May or April, excuse me, and uh, we had one Friday that we – put some in and uh, you know those those could be really good there's a, definitely more pods in the early beans and then less as you get later in the season but even our late planted beans are looking better than they were a few weeks ago because of the rain and the new growth on top and starting to pod but they're going to run out of days night or april beans just started turning yellow yesterday yeah so about 21 days out yeah yeah, about the same thing for us. I, I And I, I used to run a seed plant even years ago, do a lot of seed conditioning in the fall. And almost every fall, it was October 1 before a lot of the beans would be coming in. Nothing has really changed much on beans. I'm worried about the corn, that that's going to be a little late and a little wet. But uh, beans probably be around normal for at least uh, harvest date. And yeah, what you described in terms of drought in the middle of the season that's like worst case scenario where it's too wet early and then it's too dry in the middle of the season because the roots didn't get a chance to get deep but yeah hopefully things turn out good for you and uh, just want to thank you for calling in jeff best of luck to you here this fall all right thanks brian take care have a good day you bet you too all right we got dell calling in from wisconsin hey dell how are you oh we're doing all right um i i had a time this spring with a really nice alfalfa field dude partially to the harsh winter that we had okay and i needed to feed last fall so i didn't i i ended up cutting on the first october and by the 10th of october the ground was froze Ooh, yep and um but uh the alfalfa was awful yellow this spring when it came up um 
we put on 100, 100 pounds of pine ash last fall, right after the day after we took the stuff off of it. But like I said, it didn't. It had like one rain on it after that, and uh, it was just due to the money that we had to spend at the time. Yep. And uh, the alfalfa was awful yellow this spring, and it just I attribute it to being so cold. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I'm just looking for suggestions on what what could be making that alfalfa so yellow. Because it, it's just kind of stayed that way the whole year. Ooh, yep. Uh, do you have any soil tests? Uh, we're, we just started listening to your show, and soil tests are one of the places where this guy has been cutting corners. <laughs> okay. So I, I would just say this. Even right now, if you want to go out there and pull some soil tests for us, that'd be great, or for you, and then send me some results. Yeah. Uh, even if it – and let's put it this way. Here's what I often say to guys if they've got field issues. And what I would look at if I'm your agronomist and I go out there, I'm usually going to say, okay, take me to the worst area. Now take me to the best area. And I'd pull soil samples in those two spots, and let's try to determine what else could be going on. Now, if I've got yellow alfalfa, I immediately am thinking of all kinds of things that could happen. you got everything from disease to uh, maybe you've got bugs out there. Um, yeah, maybe it is a fertility thing. I, I mean, there are a lot of things that can can be happening to that alfalfa. Yeah, we go ahead. We own a lot of manure because we've, we've we've got we've got available manure, so we sure. we generally put a lot of manure on, yep. and uh, and then to help to help make sure we get the manure distributed better, we generally uh, use a spike tooth drag after every application because okay. I feel it helps. You bet. Get a more uniform covering. Yep. So, um, but what? You're always talking about uh, phosphorus and uh, potash. Yep. What's the other one? It starts with a P. Uh, well, yeah, the phosphorus and, and potassium. Beyond that... Potassium. Uh, yeah, yep, yep. Uh, wh- where's the best way to get potassium? Through potash? Well, it, manure, I mean, most likely is going to have a lot of both P and K. So that would be the next thing okay. is to kind of look at what your, what your samples are telling you on manure. But, you know, since you mentioned the manure, there are two other things that I will throw out. One is salt. If you get excess salt out there, and that would show up in the soil test, uh, and then soil pH. Sometimes by putting a lot of manure on, and over a long period of time, you can drive that pH down. You can drive that down with a number of things. But my, my point is alfalfa likes the pH somewhere around that 7.0 range. Well, if for some reason the, that field has gotten down to 6 or even 6.2 for pH, well, okay. right there you go. That that could be a lot of it. So, yeah, I'd... Have I'd you seen a, oh, go ahead. Have you seen a big difference to applying this, this towel lime that... that uh, I don't know. We, when I I also yep. drive semi, so we used to get it out sure. of a place in Iowa for the fertilizer plant versus yeah versus regular yeah regular lime. lime. I'll tell you what, Dale. I got to take a quick commercial break here. If you want to hang on with me, I'll talk to you a little bit more after the break, and I'll answer that question. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better, built stronger, lasts longer. 
Learn more at mortonbuildings.com. You got in the field. Well done. That wasn't an easy task this year. Now give your bean crop everything it needs to get the job done this season. Adding Agro Liquid Fertilizer to post-emerge spraying passes provides your soybeans with the nutrients needed when the plant reaches the reproductive stage. Foliar feeding soybeans can provide the in-season edge you need to economically and efficiently boost yield potential. We can help you develop a successful nutrition program for your soybeans. To learn more, visit agroliquid.com. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. If you're a rancher who's obsessed with keeping your pastures clear, turn to Grayson Next Herbicide. It offers superior broadleaf weed control, so instead of thinking about weeds, you can think about the money you'll save growing more grass and buying less feed. Used early in the season, Grayson Next also provides residual activity that controls newly emerged weed seedlings, giving you season-long control. Start enhancing your land while you protect it. Visit leavetheweedstoss.com to learn more about Grayson Next. Always read and follow label directions. In order to be the best farmer you can be, you've got to have a grain marketing plan. But what do you do when you're too busy out in the fields trying to maximize yield? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are always busy learning more about how to make our farm more successful. That's why we use Grain PhD to learn more about grain marketing and to work with our Grain PhD risk expert to create a complete grain marketing strategy. Visit grainphd.com to learn more about a free consultation for your operation. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio here on a Farmer Friday. If you want to call in, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. So right before the break, we were talking to Dell from out in Wisconsin about his alfalfa that's yellow. And so, Dell, I was, during our break here, writing down a bunch of things that I thought uh, could potentially cause your alfalfa to yellow and i got an enormously long list in fact i ran out of paper so anyway it's well my point is there are so many things it could be so that's why we got to start narrowing this up and right. soil tests right. are going to well, help my, me more my, than anything go my ahead my idea my idea with uh with the lime is i've got a limited amount of money because we recently bought the farm finances are very tight and and uh the the Pell lime, I've been told, is much more readily available, and my my idea is to the broadcasting of it, I yeah. feel, could be more accurate with a fertilizer spreader. Yes. Yep. And I, I'm with you on that. But let's talk about your Pell lime question specifically. So, for example, on our farm, we get some water treatment lime. And when we've had that lime tested, believe it or not, it is some of the very best lime that you can find anywhere, and I get it dirt cheap. 
So for me, okay. I can have somebody else come and spread it and everything, and I can put tons per acre. I can put way more on, and I can do that for similar money to what I would for 100 or 200 pounds of Pellime. But I'm in a different situation, okay. and I also don't have a crop that's already growing out there. So you got to be careful about what kind of stuff you're dragging across the field when the crop's already growing. So what we look at Pell Lime for, um, if you are in an area where you can't get really good ag lime, then yes, by all means, Pell Lime makes a lot of sense. And one of the nicest things is you can spread it with your normal fertilizer spreader. So that can help you cut your costs down and everything else. But I, I just want to, and, and again, I, I said earlier, but uh, with with alfalfa, it wants lime. It needs that pH up near 7. So if you've got a pH that's down near 6 or below, that's a real enormous problem for alfalfa, and that could be part of your deal. And so especially when you mentioned to me, money's tight. That's where I really stress soil tests because otherwise, I, I'll put it this way. I, I've been an agronomist for 30 years, and I've looked at fields all over the world. Um, I, I could probably help you, but at this point, I'm just guessing. And if oh, I have I some know, data, I no, I, all I'm getting at here is we're all guessing until we have some more data. And now we can really fine tune. Okay. We look at the soil test and we go, all right, I got all these things that are great. Here are a couple items where we say, all right, this is where our first dollar should go. What we're trying to do is figure out as much as possible where we can spend our money and have it give us a great return on investment. Because I'll be honest, for most farmers, money's tight. So we, we right. got to be careful right. about what we're spending all the time. But yes, I I mean, the other things I look at are drainage, compaction, uh, diseases, insects, weeds. I mean, a lot of other things. And even on that fertility side and with the soil test, one of the things I want to look for, for example, in your alfalfa is boron. I mean, boron is super okay. important in corn and alfalfa. I mean, it's important in all, new, in all crops, but corn and alfalfa, it's really important. So, you know, if you've been applying manure for years, manure is usually great, but it's very okay. seldom when it is a complete fertilizer. It has almost everything, but you might just be one nutrient short. Uh, there was a guy just a couple years ago that I was talking to on his farm. He figured out that manganese was a limiting factor, and as soon as he started putting manganese on where he'd been applying manure for years and years and years, he got literally 50 bushels more corn. So I'm not saying that's going to happen in all cases, but this is really why we want some soil tests. And if nothing else, just get me some soil tests from the best area and the worst area. Just take a few cores, put them in a bucket, send them in uh, for analysis separately, the best area and the worst area, and let's take a look at it and see what we can learn. Do you, do you got to tell them what to test for or will yes. they test for all this stuff? Okay. <laughs> yes. You want to, you okay, want, well, and, I mean, and you I want a complete test. I, I mean, I want, you want all the micronutrients, you want base saturation, you want soil pH, you want everything. And if you get that, then, and especially if we're only doing a couple of spots, you're not going to spend that much money anyway. But yeah, we want complete analysis. A lot of tests get done and people just get NP and K. Well, that, that tells you something. It's better than nothing. But, I mean, your problem very well might not be NP or K. Right, right. Well, before I lose you here, I want to let you know that I've enjoyed listening to your show. We just started listening to it here in the last 30 days, actually. Oh, thanks. And I've always watched you on, on uh, the TV on your show that you got on there. But there's the biggest thing that everybody needs to understand is we just never stop learning. <laughs> 
just never I agree. stop learning. <laughs> yep, I agree 100%. So, hey, uh, one last uh, thing I'm going to leave you with on your P&K, because you talked about P&K application. I talk a lot about this with the perennial crops, that you've got one shot to get those down in the ground. Our biggest challenge with phosphorus and potassium is just that when you apply them, they don't move down in soil very well if it's heavy soil. Now, if it's super light, pure sand, and you're in Alabama and you get 100 inches of rain or whatever, then yes, uh, potassium at least can move down into the root zone fine. But in Wisconsin, where it's cold, and if you have heavy soil, yep, you're yeah. gonna you're gonna apply that potash. Like last fall, you were talking about. Okay, I applied 100 pounds on the soil surface. That maybe moved down an eighth of an inch, maybe a quarter inch. But that is not okay. fully down into your root zone. So what I, where I'm going with this is long term, just something for you to be thinking about. Uh, if whenever you put in new stands of any perennial crop, you'll be money better spent if you can take those dollars put them in year one and get them down in the ground so they're down in the root zone now you'll get better utilization out of that fertility that you put out there all right all right well thank, right. thanks yeah, for the call thank Del. you very much you bet appreciate yeah, it have a good day you too all right next on we've got jason from up in alberta canada jason how are you today hey not too bad brian great so what's happening in your farm right now well we're um, we're a little bit behind obviously I- uh, Boy, I haven't heard that one at all here in yeah. 2019. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting. We were we were looking at we got weather stations on um, across most of the farm. There's in different corners, and uh, yeah. our growing degree days last year we got to 1400 before we had our our first killing frost. Yep. Um, there in early September. Yep. And uh, but we're only at 1250 here today yeah. as of today, and uh, <clears throat> you know so that gets us about 90 percent. Now, of what we had last year up to the killing frost. Yeah, now Jason, let me ask you this. Last year was a warmer year than normal. What is your do you know what your normal is for growing degree days? Well, I think it's it's going to be close to that. Like I know it takes about for us on the, you know, we need about 1500 growing degree days to grow grow wheat or canola or peas or whatever and, you know, so last year it 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 froze and we got all feed feed wheat and um and very high green count in the canola yep. so we weren't even as warm as we thought it was maybe earlier in the season the one thing that kind of held us back for sure that uh was we did we did have a lot of smoke um last oh that's year right yep 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 i i forgot oh. all about that last year that's right and it was especially yeah. bad up in your region it even got down to where we're at just a little bit but yeah, I totally forgot about that to the north because for us, we were way ahead on growing degree days, I think each of the last three years. And so a lot of people just kept raising later day crops. And all of a sudden this year they go, uh-oh, <laughs> I probably shouldn't have planted those late day crops because now it's not looking so good. No, and it's in maturity for us. Like, you know, we're we're way up here. Yeah. But, you know, you know so it's always it's always on, on our mind. But I know it is for us to be able to keep track of it and and that's you know the weather stations are are just a tremendous uh, tremendous asset just to new, know where we are and right. and even being able to keep track of different fields um we've been using the climate field view program on our farm for a couple of years now just for uh, you know keeping track of different trials and comparisons and but you know even using it for scouting this year being able to to see uh yep. you know different different parts of the field you know it's some of our fields are are 600 acre fields so for us to pinpoint where we got to go and hit those red spots or the really green spots on the satellite imagery 
and say, hey, let's find out why that's like that. That's been that's been huge time saver for us instead of just kind of randomly coming across areas that that you know in the past that's how it used to be. But for you know using that those tools is is such a huge time saver on on the big fields for us. Yep, I agree with you 100%. Uh, Jason, I only have about 20 seconds, just real quick. If your crop makes it, if you get enough heat units, how does it look? Are, are you talking average crops up there, or what do you think? Yeah, it's it's a it's a heavy crop. It's a it's good. it's good. It's just need to need to finish. Yeah, good. All right, well, hey, Jason, thanks for calling in today, and best of luck to you. Hopefully, you get those heat units and a late frost. You too. Thanks. <laughs> yep. Thanks. All right. Uh, today again is Farmer Friday. If you'd like to call in, it's 844-44-AG-PHD or send me an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with Vapor Grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Foliar sprays are only effective if you can get applied product into the plant. Nutex EDA is a micronutrient-based additive that delivers the foliar absorption boost you've been looking for. Nutex EDA supports rapid penetration and translocation of both nutrients and systemic crop protection within plants. Research trials have shown a 10 to 20% increase in nutrient absorption and higher tissue levels for a longer period, resulting in higher yields. Use Nutex EDA this season with all your foliar applications. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. 
Vellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Alright, our first question here comes from Steve who says, What's the best way to apply quick grits on wheat seed? Here at Ag PhD we talk often about these biological or as we often term them natural products. Quick grits is one of those. We've used that on our farm for uh, 10-12 years. It's originally a TJ Technologies product, then that got bought out by Monsanto Bioag, and now, of course, that's bought out by Bayer. But anyway, Quick Roots remains tremendous product. It's uh, beneficial bacteria and fungi, and you would apply that right to the seed. So there is a uh, basically powder you mix with liquid to spray on the seed, or there is uh, a a product you can just dump right in a drill, or let's say it's right in the uh, uh, right in the auger as you're filling your drill or something, uh, there are ways to do that to basically coat the seed. So that would be how you would use that. And yeah, that's certainly a product we encourage people to try. We have had pretty good luck with that. And, you know, really, quite frankly, I encourage you to try a lot of stuff. Just try it on a small scale, see how it works, and then go from there. All right, uh, next one, we got uh, got a few emails here from Adam, it looks like, and we had actually responded to him about some of his soil fertility things. So he had a couple more follow-up questions on that. One is molybdenum. He says, on my soil samples, I see a need to apply molybdenum. Now, I understand there's very little in the soil, but it's a valuable nutrient and helps keep the plant green and helps it with photosynthesis. So I would like to know, how do you go about applying molybdenum to the soil, and what are your thoughts on this? Okay, so that's the first one. And I would just say this, Adam. With molybdenum, yes, it's important. Very few farmers are testing for it. Now, traditionally, what we find is molybdenum is a little more available when the soil pH goes up. So if, let's say you're dealing with a lot of really low soil pHs, if you simply lime the soil and get the pH up, now, let's see, I'm not sure what crop he was raising, but let's just, I'll just throw this out there. Corn, soybeans, and wheat like the soil pH somewhere in that 6.3 to 6.8 kind of range. If you've got pH down at 5.5, you need lime for that anyway, and it'll be beneficial for your corn, soybeans, and wheat, but it will also make your molybdenum that's already in the soil more available. Now, if you get the pH too high, you start having issues and limiting availability of other nutrients like manganese and zinc and, and some others. So you want that, that pH in the sixes range for best overall nutrient availability. In terms of how would you apply it, there are a lot of foliar products that will have a little molybdenum in. There are even a few starters that'll have just very, very trace amounts of molybdenum in. Got to be real careful around the seed though. Uh, there are some seed treatments. What we found though is if you overdo that seed treatment at all, you can absolutely hurt seed germination. So you got to be real careful with that. And then finally, a more, let's let's call it this, a, a little more safe way to do it if you want to, especially if you own the ground, is you could go broadcast something like sodium molybdate. We have done some of that on our farm. So there are a lot of ways to apply molybdenum. 
his other thing, his other comment here was, he said, um, I want to know if my magnesium levels are high enough. I'm averaging between 150 and 230 parts per million on the soil samples. On my soil tests, it says high. Is that high, or what do you guys think? Well, uh, look, Adam, I and I don't know, maybe you did send us your soil tests before, and we did comment on them. I don't have them right in front of me, but I would just say this. With magnesium in light soils, like when our cation exchange capacity gets down below 10, I usually like seeing that magnesium up in that 18 to 20% kind of range. If you've got really heavy soils, we like seeing the magnesium down toward the 12 to 14% kind of range. So what I'm getting at here is there are always two things with magnesium we're looking at. Parts per million, you have to have enough to raise a good crop. But then secondly, you want to make sure that the magnesium is in ratio with the other important nutrients in your soil. That's where we look at the base saturation test. So those are the two things we'd encourage you to look at. Your 150 to 230 parts per million should be sufficient as long as it's in that right range in base saturation. All right, let's go Let's go back to the phone lines here. We've got Larry calling in from Ohio. Larry, how are you? Very good, Brian. Excellent. So I heard this spring that Ohio was kind of in tough shape in terms of getting crop planted. There were quite a few prevent plant acres. I never did get the chance to make it to Ohio this summer. I was in a lot of other states, but not Ohio. Tell me a little bit about how things are in your area. I'm up in northwest Ohio, about seven, eight miles from the Michigan line and sure. about 30 miles uh, east of Indiana. Yep. And, and it was very trying in this neighborhood. Yeah. I basically got everything planted, but it took till the 28th of June to get it done. Sounds a lot uh, like our farm. We were even later. We finished in July. <laughs> but we got I done. Could, I could <laughs> I couldn't make myself go any farther. <laughs> I did switch a couple hundred acres from corn to beans. Yep. I, I thought it was too late. I didn't have the hookup with the dairies or anything, so I didn't want to plant any corn after about the 15th of June, and so that's when yeah. we cut that off. But Yep, me too. Every Everything that we got planted looks pretty good. Good. I'd rather look at the beans that we planted even in later June then look at all these guys and all the problems trying to keep the weeds down and get the cover crops planted and yeah. so forth. Yeah. Uh, talking about weeds, in terms of your area, are you having a lot of problems with like Palmer pigweed, water hemp, mare's tail? Mare's tail has been big for a number of years and now water hemp is just, it's become the second worst weed. Yep. It's like, you just we cannot control it. Liberty is burning it down, but it, it just comes back from the root or the stem again. Uh, the only thing that's really working good is dicamba. All the dicamba beans we've got, uh, they're pretty clean. Yeah, yep. I'm pretty impressed, but I don't know how we can. <laughs> it was easy this year because I had no other bean fields around. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep, I'm with you. And perfect. Perfect storm. Yeah, yep, that's for sure. I was talking to a guy today who who said he he was in a bean field and the beans were cupped just a little bit from dicamba and he doesn't know who drifted onto him. And I said, well, don't get too worried about it. if if we just see light cupping. 
just as often as not, we see yield increase. So it, it, it's just, it's not a good look for any of us as farmers when we go around cupping everybody's beans. So we got to be super careful with that stuff. So you mentioned dicambas work good. That makes me think about uh, Enlist. Are you interested in those 2,4-D beans as we go forward, or do you think you're going to stick with the dicamba beans next year? It just happens to be that the dealer I work with is more into Ingenia than Enlist. Sure. So I'm, I'm not sure about you know, whether we're going to be leaning more towards uh, 2,4-D or dicamba in the future versus trying to get a better uh, residual on with our burn down. Yep. Yep. That's where I was going to go next. That residual piece is really super important. So what are you doing right now for residual on your beans? I played around with Sonic some and some Zidual Pro. Our problem where we're at is we're quite sandy in some areas. Yep. And where we've got low CECs and uh, organic matters, it really knocks the beans back. So if there's anything I could get out of this conversation, if you could help me in my residual program, I would really appreciate it. Well, what we often talk to people about is three things in soybeans. Number one is either valor or authority, and you're going to have that with your Sonic. Uh, but you don't with the Zidua Pro. Uh, but we go Valor Authority. Number two, we like the yellows, the old yellows. That's trifluralin or Prowl. And then number three is Metribuzin. Now, you have to be a little careful on sand. And by sand, I'd like to look at your soil test and see how light it actually is. But very often we talk to guys about really low rates of Metribuzin on high pH and what they call their sandy ground. I, I wouldn't call it, you know, super bad sand. But anyway, you can get by with a, a couple bucks worth of Metribuzin. You throw out maybe six bucks worth of Valor and four bucks worth of Trifluralin. You don't have an expensive program, yet you have really good control. And then what I usually suggest is very early post. Okay, so like Zidua Pro there, you got Zidua, which is a fantastic herbicide. I just like it used early post better. And then that gives me more residual to get later in the season. So there are a lot of things that absolutely can be done for that. I, I think that may be the key right there is we're trying to spray uh, post fairly early. Yeah, and adding that extra for, residual. For size, you bet. Hey, hey Larry, i got to take a quick break here. Stay with us. Uh, we'll be right back after this. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor herbicide brands. Always read and follow label directions. No one has to explain stress to a farmer. That's like explaining a missed forecast to a weatherman. Now, Mother Nature stresses soybeans the way markets, bankers, and politics can stress you. But there's a proven way to reduce stress. With Preaxor fungicide, you'll see the difference. It decreases stress from disease, drought, hail, and heat, so your beans can focus on what matters most, better yields. Talk to your local rep about Preaxor fungicide and BASF plant health. Always read and follow label directions. The Guardian Air Twin Spray Nozzle from Hypro produces a twin spray pattern with air inducted droplets for superior coverage, even in dense canopies. Be effective and efficient with your spray application this season with the Guardian Air Twin. Hypro, 
helping you spray better. The last thing you want after harvesting your grain is to spoil it before it goes to market. The Grain Temp Guard from Farm Shop MFG is a low-cost bin monitoring solution that tracks temperature and humidity and alerts you when conditions exceed safe thresholds. Visit farmshopmfg.com. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic pesticides from Atticus LLC. Atticus offers a vast portfolio of branded generic fungicides, herbicides, and insecticides for row crops. Atticus puts grassroots experience and common sense logic to work to make product selection easier and on your terms. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. We plant corn in Iowa, spray soybeans in Illinois. We pull calves in Kansas, farrow hogs in Minnesota. We raise rice in Arkansas, rye in Canada, and wheat everywhere in between. We farm millions of acres across North America and build every piece of Case IH equipment. Built by farmers, for farmers. Case IH. Rethink productivity. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. Right before the break, we were talking to Larry from Ohio, and he said... Brian, if I get nothing else from this conversation, help me with weed control in soybeans. So he had made the comment that he was using Sonic and he was also using some Zidua Pro. So really for everybody out there, I just, we talk about this all the time in soybeans. We want you to get as many effective modes of action on your target weeds. So he said mare's tail and water hemp are his two biggest target weeds. Okay, so let's talk about what we have in Sonic and Zidua Pro, because what I'm going to tell you, uh, or when I tell you this, you're probably not going to be very happy. With Sonic, you have one effective mode of action. With Zidua Pro, you got one and maybe a half. <laughs> so I'll explain that in a second. But first of all, with the Sonic, you got authority and you got first rate. Now, first rate used to, first rate's an ALS herbicide. That's not going to touch your water hemp. But that used to do a fairly decent job on mare's tail. But now, unfortunately, a lot of the mare's tail is not only Roundup resistant, it's ALS resistant. So is that really going to help you? I doubt it. Okay, that, so that's not a good choice. Uh, Zidual Pro has got Zidual in there. That's a group 15. And that's okay on water hemp. Doesn't get your mare's tail at all. Doesn't touch it. Uh, the pursuit isn't going to help on either weed at all because that's ALS. And then you've got Sharpen in there. Well, Sharpen is a decent burn down herbicide, but you can't use a high enough rate to give you any residual in soybeans. So that's why I say it's kind of like a half. Um, I don't like Sharpen in front of soybeans. I love Sharpen in front of corn, uh, wheat, a lot of crops. Sharpen's an amazing herbicide. I love it. But it just doesn't fit very well in soybeans because you can't combine Sharpen with Valor or Authority. They're all three in the same chemical family, but you only get to pick one. Well, if I'm going to pick one, it's either going to be Valor or Authority because I can use a much higher rate without hurting the beans 
and then I have residual for a really long time. Authority actually has a tremendous half-life too. So if you want the very longest residual, you go authority. Otherwise, valor is excellent as well. But anyway, my point is this. I don't, I, I, I mean, when I look at Sonic and Zidual Pro, it doesn't meet my qualification of a minimum of two effective modes of action. I prefer three. So that's where I would tell you, if your target weeds are mare's tail and water hemp, I'm going out there with Valor. I'm going out there with Trifluralin or Prowl, and I'm going out there with a little bit of Metribuzin. He mentioned sand. Now, I don't know how low his CEC is. At a certain point, you gotta be, uh, you're, you're going to have to eliminate the Metribuzin. But if his CEC is above 5, then you could still use some Metribuzin. just has to be a really, really low rate. Then the other thing is, he said either dicamba beans or it's possible he might go enlist beans. Well, if you need to burn down mare's tail, guess what? Dicamba works good. 2,4-D works good. It's just you got to have a good day. The other thing, he made the comment about Liberty burning weeds down, not completely killing them. It's funny. I was just, I, I took a phone call right before I stepped into the radio show about that very thing. And the uh, the person that called me said, yeah, there are a bunch of consultants talking about how if they boost the water rate, that really helps. And I said, well, yeah, it's going to with Liberty, but you got to make sure that you get the right uh, spray nozzle. You got to have small droplets and you got to use three pounds of AMS. And he said, yeah, but it's not working perfect all the time. And I go, well, here's one of the big factors that a lot of people forget. Liberty works better when it's hot and especially when it's sunny. If it's hot and sunny, your Liberty is going to work better. So I, I realize it's hard to pick the right day. But what I always try to do is prioritize things. I, I mean, just in life, in general, this is a good idea. Prioritize things. Okay, so what should get the top priority? Probably your weediest field. So I'm just saying, pick the very best day of the year, and that's when you go spray the weedy field. Now, if you've got a super clean field, you know, you got 10 weeds out in the field. Who cares if you get 90% control or you get 99? doesn't matter. You left one weed, so what? But on a weed where you, or on a field where you got 100 million weeds, you better darn well make sure you're out there and everything is perfect and done right. Now, the last thing that I had left Larry with is I said, I really like those group 15s early post-emerge rather than pre-emerge. There's less, in, less risk of injury to the beans. But then the other big thing is you have longer residual because you put it on just a little bit later. So if it's me, I'm going to save my Zidua or Outlook or Warrant, uh, Dual, any of those in soybeans till really early post. And now if I went out there with a Valor, a Yellow, and a Metribuzin, okay, I've got three effective modes of action. Then I come back with a Group 15 early post. And the Group 15s, by the way, have all come way down in price in the last few years. So that's awesome. Uh so you look at that, now I've got four effective modes of action. If I was to use some dicamba or 2,4-D, now I've got five effective modes of action on water hemp. And I got, let's see, one, two, three, uh, that would be effective on mare's tail. Now we're talking. Now we got a program where we say, yeah, these weeds aren't getting past me. There's no weed that we can't control in corner soybeans. And I can say that about most crops out there. It's just you got to have a plan and you got to start early. If you miss out on the opportunity to get the pre's down, well, yeah, now we're going to be in trouble. All right. Uh, we had a couple of callers. Let's see. And they just uh, left messages here. All right. The first one was John from Ontario, and he wanted to know he's raising corn, soybeans, wheat, and alfalfa in rotation. What's the best soil pH to shoot for with all three? I made the comment a little bit earlier, alfalfa really needs that pH up near 7. 6, 8 to 7 is about ideal for, for alfalfa. If you start talking corn, 
probably down in that 6.3 to 6.5 kind of range. Soybeans, you know, close to 6.5. Wheat, probably 6.5, maybe a little better. So what's the right range? Here's the whole thing. You're not going to get it exact anyway. Just try to get your pH around 6.5. Just make sure you don't have anything ever in the fives when you're raising alfalfa. It's a little less critical for corn, soybeans, and wheat, but for alfalfa, it's ultra critical. So that's where, and our, our caller earlier who was asking about pell lime, you know, for pell lime, that's not necessarily a bad choice and just throw a little bit out to give you a kind of temporary boost in your pH when you're raising alfalfa. Try to shoot that up just a little bit more, but just don't ever get too carried away on lime. We did on our farm. I screwed up. It's my own fault. I, I should know better. We're in a very, very, very cold environment, typically really dry. It takes years before the lime fully breaks down. I didn't give it enough time. Threw more lime out there. Got my pH into the mid-sevens, and now we've been fighting that, trying to get it back down again. So, be careful, but I, I would say, you know, in that probably 6.5 kind of range, that'd be where, what I'd shoot for if I'm raising those four crops. Uh, let's see. Oh, and uh, yeah, so we had Joel call in and he was he's out combining apparently. A little too noisy there, huh, Janelle? All right. Okay, uh, back to the mailbag questions. And I apologize, I go long on some of these things, but it's it's important to look at the details because there's so many things you can do to improve things on your farm. And then you end up with stuff like Dan did here. And here's his, here's his question. This is one of my favorite all-time emails. He said, I'm writing in because my sweet corn is doing weird things. The corn patch uh, is this summer... It looked like at about that V6, V7 stage, it was getting multiple tillers and it started developing a lot of ears. Well, on some plants, I had three to five ears developing. Um, what's going wrong or is everything fine? <laughs> he says, we grew the same variety last year and it produced nice fully developed ears with some plants producing two ears per stalk, but nothing like we're seeing now. Um, and then he goes on to explain they've done manure and compost uh, for the last couple of years. And he did a side dress about V2, V3 with 100 pounds of N, 40 pounds of P, and 25 pounds of K. So, Dan, sounds to me like you're doing a fantastic job over there. And his, he was just worried that, you know, would everything pollinate? And I haven't followed up now. I mean, I should ask him uh, and send back to him if it all turned out good because he was basically describing what happened to him during the course of the growing season. But I, I'm interested to see how it ends up. But you know what? Sometimes... If you're doing a fantastic job with fertility and you end up with the right conditions, you have the right amount of sunlight and the right amount of rain and everything and heat, then things can turn out fantastically well. And there's plenty of pollen out there to produce three to five ears per plant, even on field corn, let alone sweet corn. And also, here's the other thing. He said his planting population was 25 to 30,000 plants per acre. A lot of times, sweet corn is planted at 16 to 20,000 just so the ears get, get big and fully developed and everything else. So it depends on what you're after. But um, it sounds to me like you've got tremendous fertility there, had a great year. Hopefully everything turned out fine. And yeah, if it's me in the future, I, I mean, I might consider normally planting thinner. But in your case, with all that fertility and, and the way all the tillers are coming in all these years, it sounds like your population's probably just about right. All right, last one real quick. This is from Eric. 
Uh, and let's see, it doesn't say where he's from. I think he's out, he's out west, out in Idaho. There we go. Anyway, um, several farmers sprayed Rise Up on a waxy hullless barley, and now we're having issues where it looks like the yield is down. Well, he sent me what got sprayed, and I think what, what happened here is there are a bunch of other growth regulators sprayed at the same time, and that could cause a problem. Uh, we're, we'll, we'll get uh, the valent people in touch with you there, Eric. But normally Rise Up is a tremendous product. Um, and we rarely see any issues with that. But yeah, you want to be a little bit careful with what you mix it with. All right, well, before we go, I just want to say thanks to our production staff. My sister Janelle is behind the glass today. Great job again. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. And now stay tuned for Shark Farmer Radio.